Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm your host Patrick Craig and you're listening to the African Innovation Show brought to you by Africa Arena. Beautiful people and welcome to today. It is a beautiful day in Dakar and right now I'm standing in the foyer of the Radisson Sea Plaza Hotel overlooking the magnificent bay as we welcome the delegates, speakers and startups for this year's Africa Arena West African Summit. Throughout the conference over the next three days, I will be chatting to as many stakeholders as possible to share with you as much insight as we can on what exactly is happening on the ground in this exciting tech ecosystem. So be sure to check out all the micro episodes from this West African Summit series so that you can understand the many perspectives and ideas, lessons and learnings coming out of this magnificent region. First up guys, a massive thank you must go out to all of our sponsors and partners for making this West African Summit happen. To DER, La Delegation Générale, à l'Entrepreneuriat Rapide, the International Trade Center, the French Embassy in Senegal, Amazon Web Services always stepping up, Orange Ventures, and then all of our greater partner network for making this summit happen. If it wasn't for each and every single role player in this whole journey, we would not be here today. So we wanted to say a massive thank you to each and every one of them. Right, so without further ado, guys, we have a whole bunch of awesome interviews lined up for you. So let's get stuck in, shall we? We're sitting with Zach George, lawyer partner at Launch Africa and uh, one of the co-founders of Startup Bootcamp. How's it going? Nice to see you again, my man. Likewise, likewise. Zach Attack, you've been in the space for quite a while. Yeah. Not too long. You know, you know, you're not an old, you're not an old G yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, you had a fantastic, uh, a fantastic presentation today. And um, I mean, as an investor, you know, who plays in the in the early seed spaces, what has your first impressions been of West Africa? I mean, having been here for the last few days talk to some of the fellow investors and, and people in, in similar spaces who may be a little bit weary and don't know much about like yeah. the West African, not necessarily uh, Lagos, but like specifically Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, you know, that space. Like, yeah. Tell, share with what, what your sure. initial impressions have been. No, I think it's a, it, this was a very eye-opening trip for me. Obviously, we've, we've, we've seen West African, well, Francophone West African startups plenty of times before. At Startup Bootcamp, we ran the largest accelerator in Africa. It's been five, four, four and a half, almost five years now. But our our interactions with these startups have been limited to phone calls, Zoom meetings, etc., and the odd trip to Abidjan or Dakar. Um, the opportunity to meet these founders face to face during a conference, alongside other VCs and investors on the continent that focus on this region, is very eye-opening because you understand. Some of the challenges about, for example, doing POCs and pilots with um, with Francophone Africa-based telcos and sure. insurance companies and banks. Um, when you meet these founders in isolation, they can paint a very overly rosy picture about what they do. But the moment you meet them alongside other regional investors and large corporates, you get a more balanced um, picture. And that's why this conference was 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 very eye-opening on multiple levels. The one thing I will say, though, is um, the 13 or 14 countries in Francophone West Africa have a lot more in common sure. than their counterparts in East Africa or Southern Africa. So similar language, um, similar uh, culture, and more importantly, uh, a similar currency that is back to the euro. So from a scaling outside of your home market perspective, um, if we pay more attention to the unit economics for these startups, they actually could be a lot quicker to scale into other markets than a similar company in Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa. So that was that was quite an eye-opening thing for me. This this conference. 
Um, you know, it's great that we've got Adair who seems to be playing such a massive role from a government perspective, you know. Um, and I mean, we had the uh, minister pretty much roll up his sleeves and get hands on at the unconference on, on, on Monday. Um, wearing the hat that you've worn with Startup Bootcamp and now with uh, Launch Africa, I mean, why is it so important for government to really kind of like try, I mean, wh what are some of the key things that you've just, just through chatting through the grape of like how you've noticed government ma making, doing business a bit easier? Yeah, listen, uh, like I said earlier in the talk today, government has a necessary role to play for in things like grants for R&D, um, subsidies from a tax and incentive perspective, what government should not try and do is try and be interfering in the growth of a startup, right? Because the reality is startups and corporates slash governments are like oil and water. One, one hand is extremely innovation, uh, innovative, lean, uses concepts of design thinking and agile scaling concepts. And the other one is more focused on capital preservation, sure. stable cash flows, etc. So the moment you try to mix the two together without each one having their own roles and responsibilities you're bound to create friction sure. so what should happen is government should just provide a safe space be it physical space be it access to resources be it access to customers distribution where startups can work with them and uh, i think there is a, a big role that government can have in lobbying corporates specifically telcos and banks in the region to be more um, collaborative with startups and that could be the ease of doing business from a POC proof of concept, a pilot perspective, the ability to do early testing of products that startups have uh, and, that, and, and those are ways in which you know, local governments, both municipal, provincial and regional governments in these countries can work with startups. To fellow investors that are maybe, uh, you know, I think you know, it's not always the first place you come check out when you want to look for deal flow. What, what, what would you say to them based on what you've learned over here over the last few days? I'd say don't underestimate how big the market can be in places like Dakar and Abidjan and other um, African countries. Because remember, in a, in, a, in a big market like a Lagos or an Accra or a Nairobi, the cost of hiring people is also going to be a lot higher. Mm. You, um, the cost of resources, both intellectual, financial and, and sort of actual physical space is going to be a lot more. So you can probably build the same level of completeness in a tech product a lot cheaper in Francophone Africa than you can in Anglophone Africa, at least in mature markets. Sure. And, once you get, and, and, and once you get to a critical mass of revenue, I say this often, $100,000 in monthly revenue in Lagos, $100,000 revenue in, in Dakar is the same thing. It's still, and if you can get to one metric or a similar metric quicker in one country, and in, investors love companies with good unit, strong unit, unit economics. So the once you get to those, those KPIs a lot quicker in a less mature market like a Dakar or an Abidjan, then you attract the, the attention of a lot more internationally focused VCs. Yeah. And people don't want too much exposure to just one market. No one wants to just do, do, to do fintech deals in Nigeria because it's the most popular, right? Sure. The other thing is valuations. Valuations in Francophone Africa are still yet to catch up to their counterparts in Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, Egypt. So there is an opportunity, a limited period of time, I'd say probably at best a couple of years, sure. where investors in the region can start investing in companies before they reach their full growth potential. So there's a lot of opportunity, but there has to be collaboration between the investing community 
and international VCs, which is part of what we are trying to help. How do you think private sector could play a role? I mean, it's a similar thing. I mean, private sector, as in mostly banks and telcos and insurance companies, have to come to the party from a commercial partnership standpoint. Sure. So from a testing, providing a safe sandbox where they can work with these founders to just figure out product market fit, right? So a lot of insurance companies, banks and telcos in the region have access to hundreds of thousands of customers. They have mm. customer mm. data mm. that's very hard to, to mine. So what they can help with the most is the ability to, to test product and service offerings that these startups have with their existing customers and still keep control as to who owns a customer. Sure. So there's this fear that corporates have saying, if I work with startup XYZ, yeah, I'm going to take, take my customers away. Sure. But that, that needs to be agreed to saying that you keep the tech, you keep the IP, we own the customer, you make our customers happier, we make you happier, we pay you a license fee. Totally. That's, that's, that, that's how this should work, and this totally. is how it's worked in other markets, and there's no reason why it can't happen here. You shared some great tips to specifically to founders on uh, how to go about raising or approaching investors and uh, you know, finding that kind of the, 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 the investment they need to kind of either get their seed round or you know, pre-seed. Are there any, to, to some of the founders who are watching and maybe will kind of like listening to you, what would be some of the, the, the things, especially just kind of highlighting what you mentioned this morning in your talk around how they could go find either whether they're going from concept to, to fruition or wanting to scale. Now they've got their kind of MVP and then they're wanting to kind of actually not go to more towards a series A. How, how, what would you say to those guys? There are lots of things. I mean, this is a whole conversation that I, it's very hard to summarize in a minute, but the gist of it is you, I mean, traction is the most attractive thing to an investor, right? So instead of focusing on raising capital, focusing on proving that you've found a product market fit yeah. and then a problem solution fit. So without focusing too much on getting the highest margins for your product, focus on getting higher volumes, yeah. right? So I've always said, if you're able to sacrifice margin for volumes, and you become the dominant market leader or one of the top three market leaders in a particular industry, then you can hike up your margins, sure. right? But two people people are too, too often focused on this thing called confirmation bias, where they sure. believe that what they do is the best thing, you know, since sliced bread in that particular industry. And as a result, you know, the, the stubbornness of founders prevents them from, from, um, from, from getting more traction. So, I would say try and build try and build an ecosystem and get other startups involved. Try and work with other players. I mean, someone in the conference said there's no such thing as competition in this ecosystem. I mean, the market is is young and 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 sort of growing fast enough to have room for everyone. Yeah. Right? You don't you could have four payment pro providers in Senegal and still not be able to target even half the market because customer adoption is still at a very low rate. So this whole concept of a rising tide lifting all ships is super relevant to, yeah. to, this, to this industry. So form partnerships with other startups, be willing to work with corporates, be willing to understand what a corporate's pain points are sure. before trying to sell your solution. And you know, I, I, I give this analogy of you know, if you're a, a racehorse, all you see is literally what's in front of you. You have no idea what's happening around of you. Sure. Uh, around you. So as, as founders, you have to literally start falling in love with your customer and what they want. Even if it means that your customer is a large corporate and you have to suck up to what they want, sure. it helps you get access to customers at, at a much lower 
cost of customer acquisition, sure. which is the death of startups. Of course. That, that can't manage their, their CAC, the, 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 the customer acquisition costs. What would you like to see more of in this ecosystem? What do you, I mean, just, I know you've, you know, you've been here just a few days, but I know that you've played in here with you know, your time at Startup Bootcamp and you know, you've been very yeah. versed on what's happening in the space. What are some of the top two or three things that, that this particular region needs more of or in your perspective? I mean, what, some, of the, some of the amazing things, they've got a Startup Act which is coming, you know, it's, in, it's already being voted on. So they're already making massive strides and I think they're actually, while they're a small ecosystem, they're definitely taking strides towards enabling massive uh, scale and growth. Yeah, I just think startups here need to be more aware of what's happening outside of their region. I mean, yeah. people live in bubbles here, yeah. unfortunately. So, you know, understand what, what investors want. So look at IP control. Try, try and move your IP and your holding company overseas as quick as possible. Be it the US, be it France, be it Singapore, doesn't matter. But try and move your IP overseas as quickly enough so you, so you increase the universe of investors that, that want to look at you. Try and start working with, with corporate partners early on and don't look at them as competition. Um, just be more aware of um, the, you know, your competition. I find too many founders here are completely in the dark when it comes to competition. Yeah. They, they know exactly what they do and they know it really well. But VCs and investors in this region often know more about the competition than the founders themselves. So founders just need to be aware of, of, of how big their market is and how they can tackle these solutions. So that's, there needs to be a lot more knowledge transfer. And also investors here locally need to know more about what it means to be an angel investor or an equity investor in startups. Those, those concepts are still so foreign here, uh, but that also represents a massive opportunity. As someone who's always played in the kind of like pre-seed or seed seed space, how do we how do we how do we get more Zacks in the world? Oh man, it's you just it's 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 a mindset change. I mentioned this earlier. Like, too many people are focused on preserving capital, and I can't. I would rather not talk to someone that is inherently biased towards preserving preserving capital and being risk averse. So I would rather talk to you a fresh, unmolded, unadulterated mind that is open to the idea of investing in the future. So the, the common thread here is long-term significance versus short-term success. Yeah. That's why people love to work for banks and insurance companies because they get paid nice fat bonuses every quarter, sure. but there's no, you're not creating anything new. Sure. You're just recycling capital. So that you know, long-term significant thinking is what I would really stress upon. And final closing remarks, I'd love to finish, if you wouldn't mind, as you open today's uh, opening keynotes with a beautiful uh, quote or, or, or thought. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd love you to share that uh, as your final closing. Yeah, remarks. no, thanks. Uh, it was something I, I came across almost 20 years ago when I was in business school. Um, and it was a prominent Silicon Valley venture capitalist called Randy Komisar, and he said um, that of all the risks in our life, the greatest risk is the risk of not doing what you want on the bet that you can buy yourself the time and the freedom to do it later. And often you find people, individuals, families, businesses, even, even, even uh, startups end up doing something that they don't want, hoping that one day they can have the time and the resources to do it later. And often that time never comes because you get stuck in your ways and you aren't really living your two dreams. So never, never let go of that fire in your belly uh, when you're young, because when you're, when you're in your 20s and your early 30s, 
people will reward you for failing. Yeah. You fail forward. Yeah. You can't do that when you're in your 40s sure. because people expect you to have become an expert or knows an industry really well. So fail forward and fail quick and take risks, provided you know that you're putting your entire heart, mind, body and soul into it. And don't just wait. Never procrastinate. Awesome, dude. Thank you so cool. much for your time, bro. I really appreciate it. Sure, at any time. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Remember, there are many, many more from the West African summits. We've cut them into micro episodes just for you to consume in small doses whenever you have the time or the headspace. And uh, trust me, guys, there's some really, really great interviews in that series. So be sure to check them out. And if you have any questions or any queries or any suggestions, drop me an email, patrick at africareno.com. Otherwise, we'll chat to you soon. Till next time. Cheers.